Yes, we're bombarded but we cannot allow ourselves to be paralyzed. There are lots of things in the world that can paralyze us, but this is the part of our function is to be selective and to choose. The amateurs should get paralyzed, but the professionals should not. B2B has the potential to be electrifying, but the industry is paralyzed by a culture of conservatism, scared stiff in a straitjacket of rational ideas. It's time for change. It's time to make B2B marketing visceral. Join us as we uncover and explore the truth with leading B2B marketers. This is B2B Marketing, the provocative truth. Hello and welcome to B2B Marketing, the provocative truth. I'm Benedict and today I'm joined by Malcolm Fried, who is CMO of 91. Uh, Malcolm, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Benny. It's really good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. You are very, very welcome. Well, before we get into talking about the topic, um, I'm aware that I've given a very brief introduction to you, but won't have done it any sort of justice. So if you could just for the purposes of our audience, say 30 seconds, give a bit of an intro, who you are, a bit of background, um, and then we can kick things off um, talking about today's topic. Okay, um, I will, and I'll keep it concise. So I, yes, I am the CMO of 91. Um, we're an investment management firm. We're based in London and in Cape Town, South Africa. Uh, we manage about 135 billion pounds uh, worth of assets. We're 32 years old, hence the name 91. Um, myself, I've been here for two years. Before that, I was the CMO of Investec, which is a bank and wealth manager. And before that, I spent a long time at Bloomberg, which probably most people listening to this podcast have heard of. My very first job was reading news on a music radio station for one of the finest jobs I've had. That's my intro, Benny. There you go. Well, you've, you've come full circle. Uh, it's not quite reading news on a, a radio station, but um, we like to think we're getting it's towards good enough. that sort it's of good territory. Enough. So thank you. <laughs> um, now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't normally do this, but I'm actually just intrigued. Now, I understand uh, that 91 is the name because of the year, but Correct. more specifically, um, did uh, did you feel that 91 was the sort of the perfect name? As I said, this is completely by the by, but I'm just I'm just interested to know. Hey, that's okay. It's a pretty reasonable <laughs> question. 91, yes, was the year of our birth, so there's a kind of rational reason to call ourselves that. And just just to remind or or to let you know, the reason we had to change our name. In fact, we only adopted this name. Uh, a uh, couple years back was because we demerged from the Investec group. At the time, we were called Investec Asset Management. And because of the demerger, because we split off, we had to find a new name. Uh, so we did a big firm-wide search and we settled on 91. Why? Because year of our birth, yes. And also because it was a year of intense change. In South Africa, which was just then emerging into democracy in a very difficult, but very inspiring way, but around the world as well, there was massive change. The wall had fallen um, in, in, in Europe. Uh, communism was subsiding. There were all kinds of interesting things happening. Um, our tagline as a firm is investing for a world of change. So it just made sense on a number of levels for us to do that. Nice. Well, I'm, I'm actually very pleased I did ask that question because Good. not only does it actually clear up a question I had in my mind, but that's actually fascinating. And it's nice to have that sort of depth of story um, behind. Uh, at, at another time, I will explain why we're called Alan, but I think that probably would need okay. a full episode to itself. But suffice to say, no one's called Alan within the agency. Um, but moving swiftly on, um, today we are going to be talking about the need for evidence-based B2B marketing. And I think this is going to be interesting for, you know, one main reason is 
We've spoken probably ad infinitum about the importance of data within the context of marketing. And there is a a, a mature understanding, I would say, of that. But I think that when we talk about taking an evidence-based approach, it's taking it to that next level. And it's a different way of thinking and approaching things like decision-making. So to kick us off, um, mm. I'm going to give a little bit of a provocative truth, which is, is around that. I'm very keen to get your reaction to that. And that's that until B2B marketers become evidence-based and quantitative, marketing as a function, maybe as a profession or as a discipline, will never actually truly be respected. Um, what would be your thoughts on that particular truth? I'm disappointed because with the provocation, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you instead of disagreeing with you. Look, <laughs> I'd flip the question and I would say, why would data and evidence not be crucial rather than mm. why would it be crucial let's just remind ourselves what marketing is in this space as a firm as investment firms we create sell and manage investment products for very sophisticated clients allocating vast pools of capital we're attentive as marketers to product pricing distribution promotion comms is only a small part of promotion we're ultimately managing that money on behalf of countless individuals, people who want financial security in their lives and security in their retirement. So as the marketing area of 91, it's our job to help the growth of the business, to create relationships of value with our clients. It's also our job to help tap relevant markets where we can deliver returns. Now, given all that, it's an absolute imperative that we draw down on data and use evidence in our processes. The alternative would just be guesswork, flying by the seat of our trousers. Now, if we're the custodians of tens or hundreds of billions of pounds of assets, we just cannot do guesswork. We'd be remiss and we would not be serving our clients and shareholders. That would be my observation. And just on the subject of guesswork, would, would you say, look, uh, clearly we're not trying to be dismissive of vast swathes of, mm. of the marketing community, but do you think that there is still, or there is a tendency rather within marketing to rely too heavily on intuition and guesswork? Look, I wouldn't presume to speak for colleagues. I've got relationships with quite a number of peers in the industry and all of them to a great extent, use research to inform their decisions. If there is a marketing leader at an investment management firm right now who's not using data or evidence or who chooses not to, I think that person should be fired today. We're not living in medieval England where if you wanted to know something, you, you only had the option of going to perhaps 30 or 40 libraries in the land, each of which had maybe 100 books. This is the 21st century, an individual with an iPhone and Wi-Fi sitting on a beach on an island somewhere has access to more information immediately than President Ronald Reagan did when he was leading the United States. Why wouldn't we use that? So we shouldn't find excuses not to be smart and not to be updated. I cannot think of any cogent, coherent reason why we would not draw down on information. And do you think, because you're absolutely right that we are continuing and it is an exponential curve that we're experiencing in terms of uh, data availability of information. I mean, it's, it's well mm. publicized that we live in the information age. 
Do you feel that now, actually, it's almost that has created a paradoxical problem that there is too much information um, and therefore people are either experiencing a decision paralysis or they do not have the wherewithal or the tools to know which bits of data they should use for particular decisions and actually has become a bit of an inhibitor in itself? Terrific question, Uh, especially for, for, for or for old people like me who know the before and after, <laughs> who know what it was like. Well, you're definitely old enough in medieval England. So. <laughs> Correct. I'm not that old. But I am old enough to remember a typewriter, and I am old enough to remember a fax machine and rotary yeah. telephones, okay? And I'm old enough to know what it was like before we had Wi-Fi, iPads, or smartphones, or devices of any kind. Now, I love that question because, again, for, 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 this, for that generation, we had to make the transition. For today's generation, one doesn't. But your question wasn't that. Your question was fundamentally, how do you avoid decision paralysis, given the plethora that we face? Um, there is indeed a plethora. Uh, if once, if I'm scrolling through my iPad for an hour, an hour and a half, I'm being fed more marketing messages than my father was fed in his lifetime. Isn't that interesting? Okay, so how do I make sense of all of this? It's not the availability of information that causes paralysis. It's an absence of information that should cause paralysis. What I'm suggesting is, if we're professionals in this business and marketers should be professionals, what part of what we pay to do is filter. We're not paid to be diverted by clickbait, by nonsense, by BS, by anything else, or to suddenly click on a YouTube video and be diverted we are paid to focus and to filter yes we're bombarded but we cannot allow ourselves to be paralyzed there are lots of things in the world that can paralyze us mm. but this is the part of our function is to be selective and to choose the amateurs should get paralyzed but the professionals should not and this is it's difficult to sort of give practical tips on how you can avoid that and how you can, as you say, how do you filter that that information? But mm-hmm. based on your observations of maybe common missteps that you know marketers and also wider people within the business community, because let's face it, we're all exposed to huge amounts of information. Mm-hmm. But on a practical level, what can we do to make sure that we are filtering and focusing on those uh, right bits of information that are actually uh, germane to the decision that needs to be made? Super question. Look, we live in a world of ones and zeros. So digital is all around us. It's everywhere. Mm. Um, If we lived in a developed society of any kind, this is what's confronting us. As marketers, I think an answer, not the answer, I'm not going to prescribe, I'll just talk from my own experience, an answer to the question may be this. Um, If one understands what the objectives are that one is trying to achieve, then one understands the kind of information one needs in order to achieve that. You Mm -hmm. either go and search for it, or you commission it, or you aggregate it. There are any number of ways to pool it, to find it, to originate it. But that is what you focus on. That is Mm -hmm. what you focus on. Uh, By the by, as an anecdote, last year we did a pretty big research study into asset allocators' perceptions of financing a transition to net zero. In other words, investing in those companies which have plans to get from high emitting to low emitting by 2040. All right? Now, were you just to go onto the internet and scroll around, you'd find 
millions, tens of millions of references. The discipline was to create a very narrow brief, go into the market, use that information with discipline and distribute it with discipline. It doesn't work all the time, but I think it's a function of being really clear about the objective and being really clear about the information you need. That tends to avert that overwhelm factor. I, I, I fully agree. I mean, you use the language which was certainly circulating in my head is it's it's discipline and it's it's potentially discipline in both senses of the word. It's discipline in terms of be strict with yourself, but it's also discipline in terms of having that that practice and that that process to to focus. Yeah. And I think that that's where many people I mean, I've, I've definitely been guilty of this before as well but many people do fall foul is that their starting point is to research and immerse yourself in loads and loads of information mm. and sometimes that does take you on a fortuitous route but i think you mm. do have to rely on fortune sometimes to take you to that place whereas actually being very very clear about what the answer is that you ultimately need to get or the what question you need to answer and then having that discipline to dismiss information, which doesn't help you answer that question and retain that focus is absolutely fundamental, I think, in terms of how we can use information uh, successfully. With, with you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, so look, I, I, I'm a, a absolutely on board and a firm advocate of evidence-based uh, sort of decision-making. I'm also a you know firm advocate of that sort of discipline that we, we spoke about there. Mm. But I'd be interested to understand from your perspective, where does that intuition, which I think is still important within marketing and also in, mm. in other sort of functions, where does that come into the equation certainly from a marketing perspective that when kind of flair of creativity which like. the flares the, the creativity and it's the, okay. the intangible ability to yeah. be able to connect and inspire with an individual how do you make sure that you get that that blend the two operate beautifully together the one doesn't cancel the other one out mm. being disciplined in research doesn't cancel out being marvelously creative this is what separates us from artificial intelligence and mm -hmm. chatbots. If we want to do artificial intelligence without discipline, without data, it may hallucinate a little bit, text may look a little bit funny, but fundamentally what's missing there? It's the human spirit. It's that thing in our heart or our soul mm -hmm. or head says, you know what? There's a turn of phrase here or there's a picture here or there's a something which is going to lift this out of the humdrum into the stratosphere mm. and just draw everybody's eyeballs or make them really pay attention. I think it's that undefinable thing. And I think also data and research operates very well in order to let us be more creative. Listen, we know among the most innovative companies on the planet are tech and media companies, innovative and creative, um, mm. Google, Amazon, Disney, NBC Universal, News Corp, mm. huge names that create and originate amazing products. They're all founded in data. Data is just information. That's all it is. Not fake stuff. It's info, and typically it's represented in digital form. Absent information, um, we may be at a slight disadvantage if we really want to create and innovate at our best um if we want to create a fantastic integrated marketing campaign encompassing product price distribution promotion comms it would be foolish 
to my mind, to do so without founding it in information. We get away from the data word or whatever. It's mm. just information, relevant, pertinent information. It feels like to me, you equip yourself, then you almost rocket fuel yourself to take that human spirit, that creativity, and use it most effectively. Marketing for financial services is not about sitting in an attic with a paintbrush and an easel and hoping for inspiration. It's about mm. being commercially effective, but never losing what you've identified as that terribly important. Uh, I, I think in some respects, it comes back to what we were talking around with the discipline earlier. And um, you said there, I think uh, you know, it's about the relevant and pertinent information. But if you can define that, then that is really the sort of the foundation of, of creativity. It reminds me of that, that famous uh, saying, which I think is David um, Ogilvy, give me the freedom of a tight brief. Wonderful, um, wonderful, it, wonderful, it, wonderful. It really does come down to that idea. If, if we can be in discipline with that information and we can be very, very precise with the parts which are relevant, then that can be the uh, the sort of the fuel that we need to sort of do something which is you know, emotionally engaging, humanly inspiring, and so on and so forth. And mm. um, with, with a with a with a business such, such as yours, and specifically around uh, you know investment managers, the performance of the fund is often black or white. Um, yep, absolutely, and, and, and every day key, visible. Correct, every day visible. That's a key part of the decision making process. Yep. Given that that is so black and white, how do you? layer on that human dimension to make sure that you're capturing their minds but also moving them <laughs> to to take action um you know maybe from sort of a more an emotionally driven level yeah i love it uh, our view is that a brand is the sum of everything we do a brand is not mm -hmm. the outer layer it's not the comms or the advertising yep. of which we do very little it is the sum of everything we do it's performance incredibly important pricing mm -hmm is important it's how we answer the telephone it's how yep. we shake hands it's how we look people in the eye it's how we cope with a market that we experienced last year when pretty much everything is down bonds and stocks mm. at the same time are down how do you maintain relationships so what is the human element to us the human element is not so much the classic promotion as we'd understand mm. it it's maintaining genuine relationships over time, with all mm. that entails, that doesn't mean it's always going to be a happy, friendly relationship. It could be a tough, crackly moment in the relationship, but with integrity and honesty, one has to maintain relationships. That to us is the human element, and that's also mm. part of marketing. It's client experience. Um, so it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a panoply of things, if you like. Mm. I think your question was, a little bit different though which is in let's say performance isn't as good as it should be um how are you projecting how are you promoting how are you messaging that i mm -hmm. think that's maybe what you were asking um because our performance is a scoreboard like all of investment marketing's performance mm. we don't hide anything we're very transparent about it but the way that we build, develop, market, sell our products is as a long-term active investor. We're not day mm -hmm. traders. So when sophisticated institutions or intermediaries buy our products, they do so on the basis that there's a strategy behind it. 
It's cyclical. It's not for a week or a month or even a year. It's cyclical. And as long as we're maintaining a human relationship, mm. generally things should be fine. That's I, why I, the industry mm -hmm. didn't lose all of its funds last year. You know, were, it, were we to be judged on a day-by-day -day basis, last year was down for everybody. You'd think, okay, everybody's going to pull their funds. Well, mm. not everybody pulled their funds. There, there are many firms which have very good relationships, and they endure over time. And I think that we're, we're probably we're straying on to maybe another topic, which I think we've got as an upcoming episode in, in the podcast. But this mm. is, I think there's, there's such importance for marketers and also businesses to understand that the brand is every single touch point and sure is. You know, there's Absolutely this, this, this argument for how if you can have ownership over that full customer experience then that's mm -hmm. the best way of almost activating your brand because every interaction is an opportunity for activation um so so to speak right um do you i'm just trying to sort of think of how to sort of uh phrase this this question but clearly um decisions will primarily be made on the fund performance um i appreciate that that is not happening in real time and there's probably quite a lot of inertia which must sort of go on within the industry in terms of people moving between different um different funds etc um have you found that with you know the growing conversations around um ESG for instance mm -hmm. that the decision making process has now broadened beyond just simply the financial performance and now there is a responsibility on marketing departments to communicate on a multiple levels around the sort of the advantages of working with X fund or whatever I, I think ESG is a big topic. Um, our take is a is a part of that, which is financing a transition in emerging markets to net zero. That's a, that's a part of mm. ESG. ESG is often misunderstood or mislabeled mm. and mischaracterized. Um, I think the responsibility of marketing departments hasn't really changed. Um, it is what it has always been. Yes, product uh, price. Um, uh, or performance, if you like, is a determinant. It's not the only determinant. The relationship mm -hmm. is also, and relationship rests on trust. And should in our firm or any firm, performance not be what it was from one year to the next, one wouldn't automatically expect a client to exit because a client may think, well, I've been through a few cycles with this firm and they're fine. So I've got mm -hmm. a down year, but I could have three up years after that. So no, we're not focused obsessively on either defensively or offensively managing our comms or any other part of our marketing to be based on performance. It's a key factor, but it's not the only factor. Mm. Uh, we do what's relevant in the day. We do what's relevant. Right now, relevant for us is transition finance because the world is a dirty place and we need to clean mm. it up. Ten years ago, that wasn't relevant because it wasn't concerning for the world and in 10 years time, there'll be something else perhaps yeah I, I think that's really interesting and one of the the, the things which strikes me is a uh, you know very important and certainly within financial services is that from an audience perspective there is no longer that acceptance or tolerance of just talking about things from a performance or just a purely sort of like rational sort of basis well it's dull i mean if all we're yeah. going to do is talk performance you don't really need to do anything else a, mm. a way a way that we try to get the attention of big clients would be to produce 
extremely detailed, original, and interesting research in areas mm. that would interest that client. Now, I'm talking about research papers that may run to 50 or 75 pages long, that may take 10 or 12 of us six months to produce. But at the end of it, we'll put it in front of three or four clients who, who, who may have tens of billions of dollars to allocate. And they may find it that interesting that we start a conversation that could lead to some very big mandates. That too is mm. marketing. And it's invisible to everybody outside our firm. It's in fact, it's only visible to a handful of clients, but it's incredibly important. Oh, absolutely. And I think yeah. that, that looking at how research can be used to, you know, support business sort of type decisions within, you know, the, the company, but also as a that marketing tool, like it's so, so powerful within B2B. Uh, yeah. And I think the brands, from my perspective, there's so much more opportunity to be more ambitious and braver with the, the research they they do to engage that, that audience. Um, I think just uh, I'm, I'm conscious of, of of time, and I think this has been an absolutely fascinating conversation. And I would be intrigued to take it in a multiple sort of different um, di directions. But when we when we're talking around um, data and you know evidence based decision, often it's informing the sort of the key tactics that we take within uh, within marketing. I, I just also wonder how have you been able to use um, that evidence based approach to I suppose, elevate marketing within the business, but also to give marketing a bit of a stake in sort of defining the overall strategic direction of the business or setting a vision or purpose for the business. Love that question, especially in the business in which we operate, which mm. is uh, quantitative, not qualitative predominantly. It's a quantitative business that's so based on numbers and research. Uh, our colleagues are investment managers, portfolio specialists, builders of product and pretty much everyone um, has some kind of quantitative background. They're mathematicians, they're physicists. Um, people are comfy with numbers. Now, if I as a marketer, and I haven't always operated in this world, but I have for some time, were I to go in front of the exco or the CFO and say, I'd like to do this because it feels, it feels interesting, that would be a really short and unproductive meeting, okay? Or I'd like to do this again this year because it, it felt like it went fine last year. I'm not sure I can tell you why, but it felt reasonably good. They kicked me out and I expect to be kicked out. I wouldn't go into a meeting like that. Um, it is absolutely essential that as a marketer, we're a person of the business first and a marketer second. What does that mean? If I'm marketing in financial services, I'm a person of financial services first. I'm a commercial business person first, and I'm a marketer, which means my marketing has to gel, coalesce, and have the same kind of operating model as everything else, which means that I'm founded in information, which means in turn that if I do my job well, I have credibility and a seat at the table. I shouldn't, I, I, I'm not sure I have a lot of sympathy for marketers who say people don't take me seriously in the business. I'd have to say, maybe you're not taking yourself that seriously or your function. Now, I'm saying this with caution because it doesn't apply everywhere. But if we, I'll speak for myself, if when one regards oneself as a person of the business first, adopting the principles and practices of that business, and then a marketer life becomes less difficult and the credibility becomes less difficult to achieve. No, I, I, I like that way of putting it. I'm going to pick up on that uh, later. But just to sort of close close out the the, the conversation yeah. here, we never leave, let a guest leave without asking them one sort of 
final question, which is around where marketing had a really, really powerful impact on you, or, or recent piece of creative, recent piece of advertising. Now, the the evidence <laughs> we're going to talk about that, that I'm looking for uh, on this time is when did you last see, or what was it that you last saw that you really felt in your guts that moved you on that sort of emotional level? Because yes, it's difficult to quantify, but I think a really, really powerful sort of metric, if you like, of uh, um, of marketing's effectiveness is when it can sort of move you. So, yeah, what what stands out? You know what does, um, and it's a personal experience. It wasn't a piece of advertising. It was a mm. piece of human contact. It's a great question. There's so much that sits around us, and I racked my brain a bit, and then I thought, this what happened induced me to do something and mm. spend money and buy something that I probably would not otherwise have done, and that's got to be effective marketing. Okay? Um, I was the very happy owner of a particular brand of car, um, and I wanted to upgrade and buy another model, and I went to a showroom, and I was noodling around, and it all looked quite nice. And next door was, literally next door, was a Volvo showroom. Okay. And the chap on the floor sees me noodling around in this other showroom and says to me, are you looking for a car? I said, I am. I'm looking to upgrade. He says, tell me about yourself. Tell me about yourself. Good question, Matt. Mm. Okay, not let me sell you a car, but tell me about yourself. Great question. Uh, I almost never get it from salespeople. I chat a little bit. He says, you know, what What do you like driving? What do I, and, and he's drawing things out of me and he says, Really great to chat to you. Um, you know, I hope you don't mind. I mean, are you happy to share an email? I'm not going to ask you. He says to me, I'm not going to ask you for your cell phone number because people don't like giving that ticket spam. But why don't you give me an email and, you know, maybe I can be in touch. And I said, sure. I didn't buy a car from the first place. So second place, he, he sends me a few days later a short, appropriate, non-spammy, email where he says look I've, I've kind of thought about what you said to me and we may have something here for you i'm going to drive it over to your house no strings attached let's go for a bit of a drive see if you like it he did we did and i bought the car now that to me was incredibly powerful yes i do see powerful advertising i see it mm. all the time most of it i forget but that for me was a combination of all the very best things that sales and marketing should be. He was doing research. He was getting information, mm -hmm. data and yeah, evidence, yeah. right? From me, primary source. He was creating a human contact. He was promoting. He was understanding price and positioning. He was doing mm -hmm. all of that in a very normal, sophisticated way. And he sold me an expensive car, which I'm going to pay off for some time. And I'm a really happy driver. Why? Because I discovered that I didn't just want it, but I needed it. So he fulfilled all of my needs. So that's my answer to you. I mean, that's a fantastic story. It comes back to how we were talking about earlier that the marketing is so much more than just the the piece of communication which might go out of home. It's Truly. so much more than the uh, you know the email newsletter or whatever it might be. It's 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 everything which comes as part of that sort of uh, customer experience. Know your market. Don't spam. You know connect anyway it's all of that stuff and, and also um, you know using sort of our, our language is that something we always try to strive towards is to try and get to a point of understanding a, a human truth and the way that we think there about we the human truth is 
it's something which actually makes you behave differently or drives you to a certain action. And that's fundamentally what that person able to achieve and therefore achieved as an extension of the the Volvo brand, which I think it was within that particular instance. So thank you very much for sharing that one. And I think that that, that really does tie in, as I said, with earlier parts of the conversation. Um, but this has been a really interesting um, point of conversation. And I think that there was potentially sort of the the idea that if we went having talking about evidence based, we would have just ended up focusing on a different forms of data and it would have become a bit laborious. But I think this conversation has been the precise opposite of that. I think it has been a very, very natural and enjoyable exploration of an, a number of different facets. Uh, I think the, the two things that stand out for me, and I'm going to do them in reverse order that they they appeared, but firstly is um, what you said there about being I'm a you know business first marketing second and that is key like marketers and it's sometimes a bit of an uncomfortable truth is that marketing is in service of the business marketing isn't something within itself if you're doing marketing for the sake of marketing then it's useless uh, marketing does need ultimately to always be driving towards a very specific business goal business objective so i think that is absolutely key and then the second part which um i would bring out is what we talked around in terms of the introduction of a bit of discipline with how you use information, how you assimilate it and how you then um, translate that into a decision, for instance. So taking that sort of approach where we're very, very clear about either what the objectives are, what the answer is that we need to reach and maintaining that focus when we are filtering through information um, is fundamental, I think, not just to marketing, but in general um, business and arguably in general life as well. So, Malcolm, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very, very much for, for joining. Thank you, Benny. Pleasure's mine. Um, it's a joy having the chat. So thank you for your time. And thank you, everybody, for, for tuning in. B2B Marketing, The Provocative Truth is brought to you by Allen Agency. To find out more, head to allen-agency.com. You can stream B2B Marketing The Provocative Truth on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else great podcasts are found. And don't forget to click subscribe to ensure you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Allen, thanks for listening.